You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. Matthew 6, and actually make it Matthew 6 and verse number 9. Now, I want to say this. We have a podcast. Uh, You can go on iTunes, and if you want to hear our teachings, they all go on there right after this. So you just go on iTunes and type in Light of Today with Chris Palmer, and you will find it, and there will be a blessing to you. Do you believe it tonight? Amen. Touch your neighbor and say, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has, come. has come. Okay. Um, but I want to talk to you tonight. You know, I said that I was going to do a study on the kingdom, and uh, the first night that I taught it, I knew I was going to have to change strategy by how I go teaching it, because I don't just want to teach like a professor. I want to minister to your heart, and I want to make it pertainable to how... We're going to function as a church. And, uh, you know, uh, this morning I was in prayer. And, you know, sometimes in prayer you come out and you are joyful and you're light. How many of you go into prayer and you come out and you feel refreshed like the Spirit of God just ran that clean, fresh water through you like you just washed out a bowl? You know, sometimes you leave the bowl in the sink and that bowl sits there all day long. You know what I mean? You know, I used to eat cereal and then take the bowl when I'm done and turn the water on it and pour a little soap in it. And I come back at night and the bowl is growing fungus all over, right? Not quite, but you get what I'm saying. Then you turn the sink on again and all that water just washes that nasty water out. That's what prayer does. Can you relate to that? Amen. But you know, sometimes you come out of prayer and you have a heaviness about you. And that doesn't mean that that heaviness is from Satan. What it means is that you're now carrying the burden of the Lord. Hello, somebody. Amen. Someone say the burden of the Lord. Do you know why Jesus was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering? We think that a lot of times Isaiah 53 is referring to the fact that Jesus uh, was always feeling pain in his body. Well, uh, the passion of Christ only lasted less than 12 hours. But his whole life he spent as a man of sorrows and he was familiar with suffering. Well, he was very familiar with the fact that he was going to have to everything in his life was leading up to these last few hours of his life. But that's not the only reason that he was a man of sorrows, because sometimes when you carry the burden of the Lord, it can be heavy in your heart. You say, what's the burden of the Lord? The burden of the Lord means that God has called you to do His work. I was telling someone the other day there uh, in the medical field, I said this, and I was listening to what they did, and... Uh, and I was with the dentist today, and I was listening to what he did. And I thought to myself, I could never do this. I can never be a doctor. I can never be a dentist. I can never do anything else because God has separated me and called me to be a part of His work. And even if I decided to go do something else, there would always be the burden of God to get back into the ministry and do what God's called me to do. And that burden can be heavy because when God puts an assignment on you, He's not going to let you forget it. Hello, somebody. So sometimes you get into the arena of prayer and you go before God and He starts speaking to you. Do you have prayer journals or some a, a part on your iPhone where you keep what God speaks to you? You should have that when you pray. If you don't have a prayer journal, then you don't experience God talking to you. Someone say, God talks to me. If you haven't read my book, that's what the whole the second book I wrote, that's what the whole thing's about. God should be talking to you. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There should be in your life, 
you should be connected to the voice of God. Hello, somebody. You should be hearing God speak to you because one word from God can change your life forever. You don't know where you're going in life. You don't have any direction. And all of a sudden, God speaks to you. And guess what happens? You know what you're supposed to do. Then when He speaks to you, it creates inside of you an inertia, an energy. Amen, somebody. And now all of a sudden, God's calling you to do this, and you're moving with the force of God in your life. Do you believe that? Alright. So, uh, it says here in Matthew chapter 6, and, and the Lord put on my heart this tonight, and I want to minister to you particularly. Matthew chapter 6. And um, verse number 9. Jesus said this to His disciples, After this manner... Therefore pray you, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Write this down if you're taking notes. You guys are going to be with me tonight. It's not enough for us just to find out how we get our needs met. Many times the body of Christ is cut short and the work of darkness goes on because we're so concerned with our needs. When did Jesus ever tell you to be concerned about your needs? Someone say amen to that. As a matter of fact, in the next part of this chapter, Jesus says, let me read this to you. He says uh, in verse number 25, Therefore I say unto you, don't take thought for your life. Someone say, "Don't don't worry. Don't worry what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is this life not more than what you eat? And this body not more than what you wear. He said, Behold the fowls of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's no need for you to worry. Because the birds don't die for starvation. You don't see birds dying because they can't find anything to eat. They die because they get hit by cars. They die because they go inside your house and you hit them with a broom, right? But they ain't dying because they can't find nothing to eat. They end up finding it. And he says right here, Which one of you by taking thought can add a cubit to his stature? Why do you take thought for your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil not, they don't spin. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So Jesus says, Why do you worry about putting clothes on your body? Because look at the flowers. They don't do that. But at the same time, when of you have ever been dressed like a rose? You know, if they came out with a dress tomorrow that had rose material on it, how many know that would be the hottest thing going? If you could find a way to, to wear a flower on your body, same material, that would be the next thing that you see at the Grammys, right? Nobody's dressed that way. But what Jesus did say is, you know what you need to be concerned about? Be concerned about seeing the materialization of the kingdom of God in the earth. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. I hope that wasn't me. I don't think that was me. (laughs) Write this down. God's texting someone. Write this down. Um, In the kingdom of God, Satan cuts people short. Satan cuts people short by getting them to worry about their needs and not worry about the kingdom. I think so. Satan cuts people short when they worry about their needs it's up here, and not the kingdom. 
Many people never experience the power of God in their lives because they're so focused on their own needs. And every time they go in to pray, all they're concerned about is all their worries and all their anxieties, but they're not fixated and focused on what God's trying to communicate. The rule in the kingdom is, if you focus on my will, I'll take care of everything you need. So Jesus didn't say uh, uh, to be concerned. Now, what I want to talk about is when you get past your needs, because you can't even, what I'm about to minister tonight, you can't even do what I'm saying if you're worried about your needs. So someone say, I'm not concerned about my needs. God has that. The kingdom of God has that. So whatever you're thinking about today, whether you need a new job, whether you can't pay your bills, whether your account is overdrawn right now and you got more bills coming, someone say amen to that. Amen. All right. Whether you're five million dollars in credit card debt, right? And the creditor, you know, when you you know when you pay, you haven't paid bills, they'll start calling you twice, three times a day. Well, that's happening. Well, you're in that position right now. God has you covered. But what He says is, what your concern needs to be is be about the Father's business. You're not even going to enter into this next part, what I really have for you, if you're worried about the needs. So I'm going to say amen to that. Okay. Jesus commanded His disciples to pray in regard to the kingdom of God. Prayer is something that you'll see in Scripture never disappears. It is always in the Word of God something that you consistently find when you see prayer. So when it talks about the kingdom of God, uh, you'll see that prayer, when you pray, prayer is the engine that causes the kingdom of God to advance and go forward. Okay? So some people think that prayer is just a means of personal piety or being spiritual. Well, you know, I'm going to go pray to be pious. I'm going to go pray to be spiritual. I'm going to go pray to just maintain my relationship with God. But prayer is something more than this. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is not going to unravel itself into the next phase unless there's people upon the earth who are praying. That's why when God says, start a church, I want light of today to exist in Farmington Hills. I'm beginning a ministry, and I'm beginning a work. Not just one church, but I know you'll see the vision when I roll it out on May 3rd. Uh, what I want five years from now, and ten years from now, and twenty and forty years from now. Should Jesus tarry his coming about what this ministry is supposed to look like. And all the people, as this ministry continues to roll out, all the people it's going to roll over and pick up. Just like one of those brushes that you take all the lint off yourself. You roll that and it just picks up people along its path, right? Amen? Well, that's what God's going to do. This ministry is going to go forward. It's going to keep rolling. And people are going to get touched by it. And they're going to come along with what God's doing. But it's not going to happen unless we pray. Go with me here to Luke chapter 1 verse 13. The kingdom of God or anything that has to do with the kingdom. Any kingdom assignment. Because we say the kingdom of God is ambiguous to us sometimes. Any kingdom assignment, whether God tells you whatever it is He's called you to do, whether it be a ministry or a personal assignment, is not going to come to pass without prayer. Luke one thirteen. 
it says the angel, this is Zacharias, and he's waiting for his promise, which is John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of Jesus. It says, but the angel said unto him, don't fear, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Someone say, your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name John. There was a promise given to Zacharias that he was going to have a son, and he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus. And he was afraid. But Zacharias wasn't sitting on his hands. Zacharias wasn't just saying, well, just let it come to pass. When God speaks to you something, when God tells you that he has something in store for you, God says, Chris, Pastor Palmer, he would call me Chris, I have a church for you. You know what God expects me to do? Not sit on my hands. When God says to you, I'm calling you to that church to be a part of Light of Today Ministries. This is what I'm calling you to do. Okay, God, well then I'm just going to go do it. Your response should be, it's time for me to pray. Because the reason why Zacharias' promise was able to come to pass was the very fact that Zacharias says, I'm going to pray. Do you know? That many things in your life do not ever materialize because of failure to pray. Yes. Many things in your life don't come to pass because you've never prayed it through. I think to myself sometimes, well, you're putting this under law. No, no, no. Don't even listen to that. Well, you're putting this under law. I'm not, there's no law about prayer. You're supposed to pray as you're led by the Spirit. And guess what? He's always leading you to pray. He's not going to stop leading you to pray. So I'm not putting you under law. What I'm putting you under is disobedience to the Holy Ghost. Hello, somebody. Okay, go with me to Luke 2.38. Someone say prayer. And you say, well, he always talks about prayer. If you come to the ministry, you'll see that I'm going to always touch on prayer in my sermon. Luke 2.38. You know, I get around, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but there's sometimes I'm around certain ministers and they lack something in their preaching. They lack something in their testimony. Now you could say, I lack this. I'm not trying to be critical here. But whatever it is, it's not anything other than the fact that I know they're not praying. Because I've been there before. When you neglect prayer, something in your life is going to be missing. It's like one time, my friends decided they wanted to make a gigantic pot of chili. And they, it was a big pot. I mean, it was one of those big pots. You could, you could do a bunch of food portioning for weeks on that thing. Make a bunch of lunches with it. You guys look like he's serious tonight. Is, is there something going on outside? You know, did Jesus, the, the, the meteor about to hit the earth? Is that what happened? <laughs> and uh, they said, try it. And I tried it. And it, it was chili, but it didn't taste like chili. It had all the ingredients, but something was missing, that, that pizzazz, that, that, that zing. And you know what it was? They brought it over. We were in high school. They brought it over. My mom tried it. She said, you boneheads, you guys forgot to put chili powder in it. The <laughs> <laughs> most important ingredient is chili powder to make it taste like chili, and it didn't have the zing. You know what? When you don't pray, you can study the Word of God, you can confess Scripture, you can go to church, you can serve, but when you don't pray, you'll not have the zing in your life. Someone say amen to that. And someone say, that guy has it all together, but it's missing something. What is it? You haven't prayed. Amen. Look at Luke 2.38. It says here, And she coming in that instant, well, let me back up real quick. Um, 
in verse number 37, this is Jesus is being taken into the temple to be circumcised. And she was a widow, uh, well, verse 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was a great age and lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, that's 84 years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. She was in the temple. Here she is, a prophetess. You can't take the title without doing the work. Someone say amen. You're not going to be called a prophet or a prophetess unless you're praying and being before God night and day. She was in the temple. In other words, she was committed to something. And do you know what she was committed to? She was committed to prayer. Many people have issues in their life because they have not committed themselves to praying. Now we're going to get to that in just a second. So she was in the temple, night and day praying. So wait, wait, wait. what do I expect from people from light of the day? What do I expect out of myself? I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not doing. You're not going to be a part of something that I'm not myself doing. I'm not going to ask you to tithe if I'm not tithing. I'm not going to ask you to give if I'm not giving. I'm not going to ask you to go on a fast with me for 21 days if I'm not fasting. Well, I can't fast for 21 days. Fast one day. It's better and, and eat the rest of the 20. Just do something with me. I'm not going to ask you to pray unless I'm praying. I'm not going to call early morning prayer at 5 o'clock in the morning till 7 a.m. I see I said 5.30, but the Lord told me this week, put it back to 5. 5 to 7. I'm not going to ask you to be there if I'm not there coming myself. So I'm going to say amen. amen. Okay? And so you people miss out because they're not committed to this thing called prayer. And here's Anna. She's a prophetess and she's in the temple. What is her mind on? Not her needs. What is her mind on? Not the things that she has need of. Her mind is on one thing. The kingdom. And how is the kingdom going to get ushered in? Through Jesus. Okay? And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And spake of him to all that look for the redemption in Jerusalem. So whoa, 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 wait a second. She's waiting the redemption of Jerusalem. What's this mean? Well, if you're a second temple Jew, which means that you're living in the age when the temple's been rebuilt during the time of Ezra. After the temple had been destroyed in the Babylonian exile, you're now a second temple Jew, which means you're not observing Judaism in the first time, the first temple. You're observing Judaism in the second temple. And what they're waiting for is the restoration of Israel, of Jerusalem. They're looking for a Messiah. Someone say a Messiah. Because the coming of the Messiah was the coming of the kingdom. And she's looking for the kingdom. And it, and it says in verse 39, And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord... That's the circumcision. They return into Galilee. And, and it says uh, to their own city of Nazareth. And you'll see that when she came and when the person, uh, when she was praying, what she was able to see because of her prayers, she was able to see the Messiah before she died. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you pray, you will always see the kingdom of God. It won't delay. Even though he didn't see the fulfillment of it, what Anna saw was she saw the coming of the Messiah. God will never let you pray without seeing the, the, the coming of His kingdom in your life. So it may not be baby Jesus that you get to see, but you know what it is? Whatever He's promised you. Whatever is going to be a result of His kingdom. So if God says, this ministry, here in light of today, the kingdom of God is going to be a good portion of the city is going to come back to Jesus. There's going to be people in Farmington Hills and Novi, West Bloomfield, in those areas, they're going to receive the Lord. Guess what? If we commit to prayer, 
Hello, somebody. If we commit to being like Anna, in the temple and out of the temple, fastings and praying, fastings and praying, there's going to be a day where the Messiah walks to the door. And what I mean by that, there's going to be a day when people get healed and they get set free and they get delivered. But you can't be worried about your needs. You go, well, I don't have a job. I mean, I'm looking for a job, but that doesn't mean you stop praying for the kingdom to come. Well, you know, I don't, I'm not where I want. I'm just going to keep praying. To, and when I get that, then I'm going to pray. No, 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 no. You're going to always be praying. And God's going to take care of your needs. And you're going to pray. Hello, somebody. Hello, hello. You know, we have the church. You know, I want you to get into it. I mean, I want people to come to church. Like, man, that's a loud church, right? That church is wild. Those people aren't just thinkers. You know, uh, someone asked me the other day. They said, why do you get so excited when you preach? I said, because... I'm trying to take the place of 100 people I expect to get excited for, right? If you got excited, I wouldn't have to get so much excited. If I got excited, if you got excited like I got excited, I wouldn't seem like I was so excited. Then everyone asks you, why are you not excited, right? Amen, somebody. Okay, so um, in the scriptures, you will find this. Anytime something significant happened, as far as the coming of the kingdom, people were praying. Anytime there was something... Ah, oh, this is good. Okay, I'm going to give you some examples. You just write this down and trust to there, okay? Jesus knew his ministry depended on prayer. Luke 5, 16. Jesus spent the whole night before he elected his disciples. What was he doing? Praying, right? Luke 6, 12. Before the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, what were the disciples doing? Playing soccer? Playing Candy Crush? Hello. Hello, somebody. Are you here tonight? Praying. Um, Acts 2.42. Courage and boldness was based on God strengthening people. Acts 4.23. Churches were established through prayer. Anytime something significant was done in the New Testament, people availed themselves to prayer. So, the radical grace message that's out there that exists today has made it seem, and, and, and other whatever, people that are complacent, has made it seem that because of grace or because of the finished work that we don't have a need to pray. And the thing is, the finished work of Jesus, if you're writing this down, the finished work of Jesus doesn't take away your need to pray. People say, well, wait a second, Jesus is the eternal Sabbath. All we have to do is rest in Him. That's true. You have to rest in Him in the sense that, ah, this is good, there's nothing that you need to do other than have faith in that finished work to come to God and receive the adoption of children. But when it comes to the finished work, it has nothing to do with how you fellowship with God. Your finished work doesn't eliminate your position and what you're supposed to do as a child of God and an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Hello, somebody. So when God calls you his child, he doesn't say, just sit on your hands and wait for me to come. No, 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 no. He put his spirit upon you to empower you to be his representative upon the earth. Amen. That doesn't mean you just, well, I don't have to, if I'm going to be prosperous, it's going to happen. I just don't have to pray about it. No, no, if you want to be prosperous, you're going to have to pray. 
well, you know, I, I, you know, if I want to, God's just going to save who he's going to save. No, 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 no. God ain't going to just save who he's going to save. He's going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to show you that in just a second. Are you here tonight? Okay. Go with me in Ephesians chapter 6. So the question is, if Jesus accomplished the finished work on the cross, why is it that we need to pray? Well, go with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a Bible study tonight, so we uh, go to different scriptures. 1 Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Why? Someone say, why pray? Say, why should I pray? Say, why should I pray? If Jesus did all the work. Oh, let me answer that. I'm glad you asked. First Thessalonians 2.18 Wherefore we would have come unto you. This is Paul talking. He said, I would come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. But Satan hindered us. But wait, wait, wait a second. I thought principalities and powers and heavenly places had been bound. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. I want to show you what I mean. Verse number 15, this is the same Paul writing. Now, this is, you know, you know me, I like to show points of tension in Scripture and talk about it. Colossians 2.15, it's talking about Jesus. It says, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Here's the question I want to propose tonight in Bible class. we got 35 minutes to answer this question. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers did he not hello yes. come on guys talk to me talk to me let me know you're here you're not dead talk to me somebody did Jesus spoil principalities and powers yes then how is it that the apostle Paul was hindered by them hello someone say hello, hello. if Jesus destroyed them then why is Paul wrestling with them Go with me Revelation 12. If you want the answer right off the bat, let me give it to you. Write this down if you're taking notes. The triumph of Jesus over demon powers secured your final victory over them. But, it doesn't mean that it eliminates your wrestling with them now in this age. Well, we don't wrestle with demons, brother. No, no, no. Yes, you do. It's apparent. Yes, you do. If you don't pray, they're going to overcome and take away your victory in Christ. Well, so, so you're saying he defeated them or he didn't defeat it. Jesus defeated principalities and powers. He defeated the rulers of the darkness of this world. He triumphed over them, which means that his death secured your ultimate victory if you persevere in his victory for your life. But what it means is this, that as I talked to you before, that there is in the kingdom, the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is yet to come, right? 
So there's this already sense of the kingdom, the sense that it's come in Jesus. Has the kingdom come? But the kingdom of God, even though it's come, it's racing towards the end, which means that the kingdom is going to exist side by side, this present world and all the darkness with it. Hello, somebody. So it means that there's two realities in existence right now. When Jesus came into the earth, hello, are you here? When Jesus came into the earth, what that means is that he secured the fact that at the end of this age, there's going to be a final victory. He's already won the battle. The game and the fight has been fixed. But what that doesn't mean is that he's locked up every single demon that's out there right now. Because we're going to see in just a second, there's demon spirits that are still at work in this earth. And unless you appropriate the victory of Christ in prayer, they will overtake you and make you miserable. And your only hope is going to be the end. Hello? <sighs> you guys will get it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Revelation 12. Let me show you what I'm talking about. All right. Some people say, well, you know, Brother Palmer, I can't understand the book of Revelation. Not in light of today, right? We talked about how to read this book. Amen? Did we talk about that? How to get into Revelation, how to read it. And, and if there's any book of the Bible... That requires historical context. That's Revelation. Yeah. Don't think that you can read Revelation without having an understanding of what it was being a second temple Jew living in the first century. Because if you understand that, and you understand what they were going through as Jews being converts into Christianity, the book of Revelation is going to make a whole lot more sense. And then if you read books that help you understand the Roman Empire and what the Roman Empire is like, you'll get a whole lot more what he's talking about, the imagery in the book of Revelation. Now, I don't believe all Revelation has been fulfilled. Revelation is, um, there's obvious future fulfillments in this book. So it's a book that prophesies a lot of the future. But there's a lot of it that has to do with things that are historical, particularly the Roman Empire. And look at what it says here in Revelation 12. There appeared a great woman in heaven, using imagery. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars and she being with child cried travailing in birth and pain to be Israel. Now I don't want to get into why but let me just tell you this. The woman right here that's being described is Israel. And it says that this woman had a child and so if you will read in Revelation 12, you'll discover that this woman gave birth to two things. Number one, she gave birth to a child, and that child would be the Messiah. Let's read further. And, she being, and it says in verse number three, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. For to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, or a male baby, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up into God into his throne. So the child had a rod of iron, which means authority and power, and he was supposed to rule all nations, and he was caught up to his throne. Who does this sound like to you? Jesus. Psalm chapter 2, talking about he rules all nations and dashes them with his scepter iron. 
It's talking here about Jesus. So the woman is Israel. She gave birth to a child and his name is Jesus. And here's the thing. It doesn't talk about his earthly life. It just shows his birth and his ascension, which took place in Acts chapter 1. Which simply means that what this is trying to convey to you, we talked about this in Bible class, was that by focusing on the birth of Jesus and by focusing immediately on the ascension of Jesus, that it's talking about the final victory that Jesus wrought. Spoiling principalities and powers. Are you here? So in verse number 5, we see Israel has given birth to Jesus. Jesus spoils principalities and powers. He escapes the destruction of that great red dragon. Are you here? You saw how the devil tried to persecute Jesus upon the earth. Are you here with me, somebody? You see how the devil tried to stir up storms and tempt Jesus in the wilderness and send uh, demoniacs to try and overtake Jesus and to try and kill him on the cross. And God outsmarted the world and outsmarted the elements and outsmarted the people that were trying to persecute the Messiah. Amen. And he got the victory. But it says in verse number 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared. This is talking about the future. And it says, And there was war in heaven. Verse number 7. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there any place found any more in heaven. And it says right here, And the great dragon was cast out. The old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, look, look, look. After Jesus' victory, what happens to Satan? Satan, now, the word of God is saying, is alive and is upon the earth with his devils and his demons. So two realities exist. Are you catching this tonight? Two realities exist. The finished work of Jesus. He's on the throne. He's alive, and he's well, and he's ruling the nations. He's the ultimate ruler whom has secured ultimate victory, so much so that he's cast the devil, and he has destroyed him and his power over the cosmos, right? But where does he exist? Is he in hell yet? No. The enemy is alive on the earth. Look what it says. And now I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom and the kingdom of our God. And the power of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, that's Satan, is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And look what it says here. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Um, and look what it says here. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth. Well, let's go to verse number 12. Therefore rejoice in heaven, ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Look what it says here now. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath. Because he knows that he has but a short time. Are you catching this now? Yeah. Are you getting the spiritual picture that exists? Okay? And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he... He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Okay? So, look up right here. You have this picture of Israel giving birth to Messiah. The enemy is upset. He's angry. He tries to eliminate the Messiah. He's unsuccessful. The Messiah comes up to heaven. He rules. He eliminates the power that the devil had over the cosmos. He strips them, takes the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And then he uh, dethrones them. 
No longer the rule of the earth. And when it says he spoiled principalities and powers, this is what he's talking about. It's not saying that he locked up the devil. What it's saying is that now he has the final authority. He has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Not the devil, not the enemy. Jesus controls the death. Because before that, you couldn't go in the presence of God. You had to go into Abraham's bosoms. Uh, Abraham's bosom. But now you have Jesus who has the power over death. Yeah. And so he dethroned the devil, and where does the devil end up? He ends up back on the earth, and he is ticked off because he knows now he's been defeated, and his days are numbered. So what does he do? He can't touch Christ. He failed at that. So he goes to the remnant of the people that came out of the loins of him, and he starts persecuting the saints. So what does that mean? There is now a present struggle that you have upon the earth. There is now a present contest that you have to bear with. And that is you as a believer who is full of the Holy Ghost are going to have to wrestle with the same principalities and powers that Jesus overcame. But you have Christ in you so you can overcome them. Am I preaching too heavy for you tonight? So what do you mean, Brother Palmer? This is what I mean. The Spirit of God says, start lighting today, church. Put it up in the area. You know what happens to a lot of churches? Yes, Lord, I'll put up a church. So they sit there with a pen and paper and they decide, this is all we're going to do to get our church together. Going to have outreach. Going to have a cookout. Going to have a softball team. Going to have a Facebook page. Going to have a YouTube channel. Going to have greeters at the door. And we're going to do this, this, and this, and this. And we're going to order banners. And we're going to get balloons. And blah, blah, blah. We're going to have ice cream social. No prayer. You know what the devil says? I don't even need to touch them. Their ignorance is destroying them. I don't need to mess with them. They don't even, they're, not, they're, not, they're not opposing me. But then all of a sudden you see a ministry that says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to avail ourselves to prayer. Because we understand that unless we pray, we're never going to get this ministry off the ground. This ministry has the potential because God has put a word in it. Okay, listen. If we don't pray, there's going to be no fruit that comes out of this ministry. That's right. People will come. They like it. They'll stay. They don't like it. They'll go. But guess what? There'll never be deliverance. There'll never be healing. There'll never be signs. There'll never be wonders. And here's the thing. Here's the issue. When I was praying this week, the Spirit of God put on my heart that if we're going to avail ourselves to prayer and praying and believing God, do you know what's going to take place? Is that you're going to have to get involved in this wrestling match. And the thing about it is that when you start to pray, you say, why are you even preaching on a message like this? Why aren't you preaching on 10 ways to radically influence your community? No, no, no. Because you're not going to influence your community uh, in the natural. You influence your community in the spiritual. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. People that do not pray never carry this burden. Do you know why? Because only through prayer do you even understand that this burden and this struggle is a reality. You catch what I'm saying tonight? So, unless you pray, you don't even know that this reality even exists. And then you wonder, why isn't things going the way they're supposed to go? Why aren't things growing the way they're supposed to grow? Someone say amen. Amen. So, how does the persecution come to the saints? Are you enjoying this tonight? Well, I'm giving it to you. I'm putting you upside the head with it. Number one, write this down. The persecution comes to saints 
in a number of ways. In the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, it came through the emperor cult. And I won't get into what the emperor cult is, but the emperor cult was what persecuted the old, the, the, the ancient saints. But for you, it may not, we don't have Caesar sitting on the throne. We don't have Domitian, who was the emperor then, declaring himself to be Deus or God. But what we do have, number one, is you have circumstances. Have you ever had that time in your life where you just start to realize that nothing ever seems to just go right? You know the old saying, bad, bad things come in threes, right? One thing goes wrong, then two things go wrong in three. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you haven't even gotten out of bed yet and you look at your emails and you already have an email that just crushes you for the rest of the day, right? Or you're just getting out of bed and you're getting out of the shower and you just got done doing your devotions and the phone rings and you pick it up and you weren't expecting to hear what you just heard. And the whole day you're living under the pressure of that thing, right? You're just, man, you're drowning. And then there's some days you're feeling good and then the next day you have three bad days in a row. Sometimes it's just the way things even flow go. But sometimes it's demonic. The next thing you have is people. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. It says, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that you therefore are called that you should inherit a blessing. So, Peter's talking about here, when people start doing the wrong thing to you and start persecuting you, what's he call it? Evil. Do you know why he calls it evil? And why he calls it slandering or railing or accusing? Because many times what the enemy does is he tries to get behind people and influence people who are not set apart and sanctified unto God. And that's how the demonic attack is launched at you. It's through people that you're close to. You know not everybody in your family is consecrated to God. Not everybody in your family is in prayer every day and is spiritual. And you know what the devil will do? Send his legions out there to influence them to say something to you. And you know what the Bible calls it? Evil. You mean they're being influenced by the devil? Sometimes, no. Sometimes, it ain't always that. When, when you get someone that's acting fool, it ain't always the devil doing it. But you want to know something? Sometimes it is the devil doing it. Because when you're not consecrated and submitted unto God, the enemy will use any person that he can get his hands on to discourage you, to keep you from doing what God called you to do. That's why it's so important for you to be in the Spirit. Because the moment somebody is being used as a vessel of the enemy, if you're in the Spirit, you can say, that's the devil. Yeah. Are you with me, somebody? Um, and it won't bother you. Then there's always those unseen attacks that come against you. There is a battle in every single person's mind that rages. 85% of the things that you're worried about today are not going to come to pass. 85%. But that nonetheless doesn't mean that the enemy is going to come to you and try and fill your thoughts with doubts and worries and fears and anxiety and torments of all sorts. How many have ever been so anxious you feel like your head's going to explode? How many have ever been playing over situations in your mind? The hundred, you know, you have one situation and you have a thousand ways that it could end up going. 
and he's just so anxious. Oh, what if it happens this way? 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 Oh, oh, oh. And then all of a sudden, when you get all the way down to the millionth and fifteenth thing that could happen, and, and, and you can't, it can't happen any more ways, you know what you do? You go back to number one. What if it happens this way? Oh, what if it happens this way? Oh, what if it happens this way? And you know what that is? That's that record player devil who just got it on repeat, playing that same record for you, and just laughing the whole time. Laughing, laughing, laughing. You know what you need to do? Get into prayer. Because guess what? The minute you get into prayer, what the Lord does is He puts pause on that record, takes the record, rips it apart, and gives you His thoughts instead. Isaiah 26, 3, I'll keep him in perfect peace with mine instead in thee because he trusts in thee. So where's the attack coming from? Go with me to Ephesians 6, verse 12. I believe that people that are going to be in the ministry and be with me, we're not the Ghostbusters, which means that we don't just go looking for demonic attack, but you have to be conscious of the reality that is going to exist. Some people don't even want to talk about devils. You know why? Because people want TV ministries and you can't get on TV and talk about demons and devils. It is not going to fly. Go on TV and tell people how to have a, their, a good life now. But don't tell them about demons and devils that are destroying people. Why are some people so caught up in sexual addiction because of demons and devils? Why are so people caught up in drug habits because of demons and devils? That they can't. I was in a, a, um, a psychiatric ward yesterday doing a visit. You want to find the closest place to hell on earth? Go down to the local psychiatric ward. You know what the saddest thing about hell is going to be? Exactly. You're going to find that everyone in hell, hopefully, well, you're not going to find it because you ain't going to hell. But in hell, how would you like to be with? the multitudes and multitudes of people who are put into hell, they will be out of their minds. A place where there's not any light, it's darkness, torment, and there's no sanity. When I was going down there, I had to pray, believe God. Because you get into a place like that, man. person I was talking to actually wasn't that bad of a case, comparatively speaking. It's all relative. And I got in the room with him and I said, and I started ministering to him. I said, why are you even here? Well, you know, this is, and I said, did you look at yourself in the mirror this morning and think to yourself, I don't belong here? He said, I don't belong here. I said, then why are you here? I said, you're, you, 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 I said, and I was, there was, I was getting, you know, you go into the psych ward, I take any minister when I get psych, I, I'll take any other minister with me because I want to train them in this. You go into the psych ward, you're going to get harassed, especially when they find out you're a minister. They know what you are. I've seen in the psychiatric ward some of the worst things. And you know who they're always cursing? Jesus. Always talking about Jesus. Always thinking they're Mary, the mother of God, something religious, some evil spirit. Get an attack of them. And this is and when you get to talking to psychiatric patients, you know what you find out and you discover? What what usually leads them down that process, what you find out you back up is not because they're serving God. 
No one ever ended up in the psychiatric ward because they were being obedient to God and doing what God said. No one says, I'm in the psychiatric Why are you in the psychiatric ward? I was tithing and praying in the Spirit. Why are you in the psychiatric ward? Because I was going to church and worshiping God. No, you find out they're in the psychiatric ward because they were being highly promiscuous with their bodies, addicted to pornography, drugs and alcohol, angry, years of molestation and child abuse, turns into rage and, 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 and you know, one thing that they don't... So, um, that's the devil trying to shut this recorder off. Isn't that something? Start talking about the enemy. You know what? Anytime I go into services, I'm just going to play it over again. Anytime you start talking about the enemy, uh, technical difficulties always happen. Right, Jonah? Absolutely. Hallelujah. Because there's a struggle that we're struggling against. Someone say amen to that. Amen. Glory to God. Dremoshi prafadeshike. Toramandishi korabandeshi tatrebasa. Kendori shimbra mandusha predelishita ramasanda. Ketelutu ramanze shefiko torambanja. Telabora batishikiandeshete. Zombrande shambrando fosketiti. Lendo ramandeshandre basoko. Tandrema. So cover yourselves in prayer, says the Lord. Cover yourselves under the mighty shadow of my wings. For there is an onslaught of darkness and spiritual forces that have been unleashed not only upon this earth but also upon this region. And they're attacking people's minds and they're attacking people's hearts, keeping men and women and even young children blind from the knowledge of the truth. But he says, But you see, says the Spirit of Grace, if you join your heart in prayer, and if you become those that are committed not to popularity, not to the success that the world promises you, but to the success I promise you, says the Spirit, you will overcome, and you will have the victory. So set your heart into agreement, not to fall trapped to the wicked devices and schemes of the evil one, but to be but to be obedient to my word, and to commit your heart, to be vigilant, says the Lord, to know when temptation comes to ward it off as an attack of the enemy. Now, Father, I speak protection over each person here tonight in Jesus' name. I speak your protection, Father God, against everything that the enemy would try to do, Lord. And I release your power, Father God, against their minds and against their hearts, Father God, to keep them from the strategies and the plans of the evil one, Lord. And I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be open to understand the truth that's in your word. And to be conscious, Father God, of the fact that you are alive, Father God, and the one that is controlling their destiny. Protect their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So understand, says the Lord, you're in a battle. But understand, says the Lord, that I've called you to be victorious. And I've not called you to relent. But I've called you to carry on and fight. Carry on and fight through prayer. Hallelujah. Now, uh, I feel the presence of God. Now, I want to teach this point. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. 
there's preachers that have told me in the past that they don't like to teach on this stuff anymore because they know what happens when you teach on it. The spirit realm is real. Ephesians chapter 6. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what the Apostle Paul is saying right here is that even as a Christian, after he has just told you in verse number 10 to put on the full armor of God, Paul is talking about the establishment of the church in the book of Ephesians. The prison epistle he wrote it while he was in Rome. Talking about the establishment of the church. He tells you to put on the whole armor of God. After everything he said about your victory, he says, and finally, one more instruction. After everything I said about you being seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Because if you go back to chapter 1, in verse number... Um, uh, in verse number 21, it says that you're seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And put all things under his feet. So, you've been situated. This doesn't mean that you, you're, you, it, that you literally sit up in the heavens. This is a figure of speech letting you know that you have the victory and the authority over it. positionally, you're in the victory. But, that means to maintain that victory, you have to put on the full armor of God. And you want to know why most people get defeated? Why most people don't put on the full armor of God? This is the big word why so many people fail. While they'll come to me and say, I've been to your services, or I come see you, but I've had, you know, I failed. And then I'll see them again and they'll say, I failed. You know what I find out and tell them? It's very practical. You're disinterested. You don't care. I told you you're going to get defeated, but you don't care. Um, so to put it on, you have to have an interest in this. That you're going to do it. And the Word of God says the first thing that you wrestle against is principalities. Now I'm not going to get too detailed into this, but the Greek word is arche. And this means the beginning of something. Or the first in order. So what the Bible is talking about is there are a class of wicked spirits beginning with principalities. Principalities are high, the highest of all demonic spirits that try to keep whole regions and areas bound in some type of belief system. And then you have powers, which is a Greek word, exousia. And the word their power is talking about spiritual potentates. It's the second order or the second class of demon spirits. This is how real and how alive the system is. And then you have something that's interesting. And these are called rulers of darkness. And this is a very interesting word because the, ruler, the word ruler of darkness comes from a Greek word that is cosmocrator. Cosmo is one word that means the world and the inhabited earth. The word there, crater, is um, a verb that means to control something, or it means to assume control of something. So it's talking about a being that's spiritual who is in control of something. Some people think God is in control of everything. If that's the case, then why did he let 200,000 people die in 2010 if he's in control of that? 
He's saying God's in control. I'm saying He has the ultimate sovereignty over everything as the Creator. Yes. But even your most brilliant scholar will tell you that there are parts of this earth that the Lord is not in control of. Um, the Word of God says that, um, I think it's Revelation chapter 4, the angel declares that when Jesus comes back to the earth, one of the pronouncements has been, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and our God. But that is said in the future. If it's not being said right now, do you know what that means? It simply means that the kingdoms of this earth don't all belong to God yet. Am I telling you the truth here? So here's the question that I want to ask you. If that's the case, what spirit do you think controls this area? What spirit do you think affects this area? And how do you think if that spirit is a real thinking spiritual entity, how does he go about trying to harass and hinder the work of God that's in the area? Hello somebody, are you here tonight? Tries to discourage it. I know it's heavy tonight, but we got to think about these things. Because we're going to pray against these things. So what did, uh, and then the Bible says there's spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Spiritual wickedness simply means spirit beings who propagate evil deeds in the realm of the spirit or the realm of God. Demon spirits. They're the ones that cause people to be depressed and suicidal and evil and get speed. You know, there's an obsession now that people have. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's obsessed with death. There's one thing that you don't do, and there's people that are into scary movies, and they have to see every Chainsaw Massacre movie. They have to go see every uh, Saw 1, Saw 855 that comes out because they're obsessed with death. You know why? Because they're dealing with the spirit of death. Yeah. Same thing for people that are obsessed with pornography. They have to go, they, ha they got to get their fix. You know why? Because they're dealing with the sexual spirit. Same thing for people that all they want to do is talk about people, talk about people. They're dealing with a, a, a lying, gossiping spirit. You know those people that they, all they do is lie. They just lie like chronic liars. They're dealing with that lying spirit. Hello, somebody. I don't mean if you tell a lie you have a spirit. I mean if it's compulsive and you can't stop it. Where did you pick that up from? Hello, somebody. So how do you overcome the kingdom of darkness? Go with me to Ephesians 6.18. I'm going to close here. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 18. It says here, Praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It's interesting this comes right after what's talking about demon powers. Anytime you see, anytime in Scripture you see spirits and classes of devil mentioned, you'll see it in uh, Colossians chapter 1, you'll see it also in... Um, Daniel chapter 10, prayer is not far off somewhere else in the scripture. And he says, pray with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watch thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What's interesting about, what is interesting, I'm going to go a few minutes over tonight. What's interesting about the armor of God is you have the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, all right, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. All of these are basically defensive weapons. 
And a sword can't do anything long distance. Am I right about that? Nothing is so much depicted as strictly offensive. That little sword you have, you know, you're not going up to somebody with it. You're kind of keeping them back with it. Defensive, defensive. What do you see as an offensive weapon that can initiate, in the armor of God, initiate some type of preliminary attack on the force of darkness? You don't see anything. When you, uh, but the one thing that you see in Ephesians chapter 6 is the only offensive weapon that's mentioned here is your prayer. Because, look it, if you just relied on the armor of God, that means that the enemy could come in and come close to you whenever he wanted to. If all you have was a suit and a sword, the enemy can engage his forces and get close to you. So what is your long-distance weapon? That is your prayer. That is your spear. So when you have prayer, what you can do is all of those spirits I just mentioned that would try to hinder you or would try to hinder the church. What you're doing when you pray is you're taking that lance of spear, that, that lance of prayer, and you are throwing it at the enemy. And you are keeping him at bay long distance. So what Paul was saying is that when you're a believer and you pray, he's saying this by the Spirit, he's saying when you pray, the, the, the malevolent attacks of the enemy, those schemes that the Bible says to, to, to not be ignorant of, what you're doing is you're throwing them at the enemy and keeping them away. So watch this. When you have family members in your life that you know the enemy likes to use as shark bait and likes to just prey on your family members, he is going to have a field day with them. But you know what you can do? You can take that lance of prayer and keep them away from that. You ever see those movies where you have like gladiator where all of a sudden someone's getting ready to chop the person's head off in battle and all of a sudden a spear hits them and they fall over and there's the, the friend of him standing there laughing, right? That's what you do. When you have that spear and you see the enemy coming towards somebody, you don't have time to get there and preach to them the word. You don't have time to get there and tell them ten things to get you saved. But you know what you do? You have that spear. And you throw it long distance. And even though you can't get next to that person, whap, you hit him with that, that slant of prayer. Keep the enemy away from that person. So, whoa, 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 wait a second. If it works for you and your family, you know what this means? If God can just find one praying church in Farmington Hills, how many serial killers can we stop? If God can find one praying church, how many sicknesses and diseases can we keep from coming to families' homes? How many people can we keep from coming out of and going out of their minds if we find 50 people in the church that are throwing spears and keeping Farmington Hills away, occupied, keeping it, the, the enemy out of the area? That's good. You hear somebody, but you know what the problem is? There's so many people, and they're so concerned about their needs. They're so concerned about poor little me. You know what they're not doing? Throwing spears, keeping the enemy away. And you know who you have to pray for? Your pastors. Because there's an old saying strike the shepherd, and the sheep scatter. And not just your pastor, pastors that are in your life. You have to pray for them. It's true. Because the enemy says, I'm not going to mess with all those people. Let's just take the pastor out by the knees. Pray for them. 
Take those spears. You have an unlimited supply of them. Take three or four at a time and launch them at the enemy. Because the reason why the work of God folds up is A, nobody ever starts praying. And B, nobody, um, they don't start praying, number one. And B, uh, they stop praying. I'll write this one more down, this last point. I'm not going to expand on it. Um, prayer produces a turning point in your life. If you look in Scripture, any time that you see a significant turning point in the Word of God, you see first coming before it is prayer. You look at the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of Jesus, when the coming of the Spirit upon Jesus, the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Or you look upon uh, Cornelius and the Gentiles receiving God. Or you look upon the establishment of churches, X, Y, and Z. Anytime there's a turning point, it first came by prayer. And the reason why that is, is because you've prepared the realm of the Spirit. You want to see a turning point in your life. You want to see a turning point in your family. A turning point in your business. A turning point in your church. A turning point in your community first thing that has to go forth is prayer. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly. So make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.